0: Welcome to the Integral Being podcast, a podcast where we explore integrated wisdom in a complex and fragmented world. I'm your host, Gregor Steinmacher, therapist, group facilitator, working with individuals, groups, and executives on transformation and an integrated and trauma-informed approach to life. My conversation partner is David Lyon. David is a coach for self-employed creative professionals and has been helping me with my online presence for the last years. In addition to that, he has been an important sparring partner in the creation of various online trainings and inspiring conversations such as this podcast. In this episode, I talk with David Lyon about death and our relationship to death and also our relationship to fully living and the lost art and practice of grieving and also uh, participating in grieving rituals. We explore why grief is such an important experience for us as human beings in order to truly move on. And we also take a good look at what takes the place when we don't grieve and when grief doesn't get its appropriate space in our lives. And this is so interesting how it's like considered unsexy to talk about death, and how it's considered um, even as a juxtaposition against life. Well, (laughs) we cannot talk really about life if we don't include the reality of death and the reality of ending. Or if we then talk about life without including death and the finity of life, um, we're always Kind of needing to defend ourselves against that reality, and like kind of like pushing something out of our awareness that um, actually holds us and includes us. It's like we are, we are in the process of life and death, and then to say there's a division here is life and here is death is like fundamentally splitting life into something that will cause a lot of effects. And I always found it very interesting that. Or, like, also to see that when people start to talk, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in the topic of death, that often the first, react, the first reaction of people is like, it's like a sense of morbidity, like wanting to die, you know, like how that is something we, like we need to get away from. But it's, it's the exact opposite that I am, and I think all spiritual traditions and all wisdom traditions and all indigenous cultures had a very clear kind of uh, cosmology even about that included death in order to be able to really live. If life is not part of death is not part of your way of looking at life, um, actually, you're not really alive. You're trying to get away from something that eventually um, will happen. And how then when that is like kind of taken away There's so many um, subsequent um, problems and symptoms arising that we then don't know how to process the reality of people dying and how to make that um, actually a moment of, of where great blessings can happen and not something that should be a terrible thing that we should postpone as much as somehow possible and um, see that also in the medical approach to, to life that there is less orientation of the quality of life and just the sheer quantity measurement and how that is a very good thing so there is nothing against that and there is a big success of modern medicine in expanding the lifespan of life of human being and also the quality in but there is also a spiritual or inner world dimension of quality that doesn't get automatically better just by prolonging life. So there is a a huge this is a huge topic in a way that, um, and my own experiences with like consciously exploring what death means and not just like i want to die but like what what role death has in the experience of life like i always ex- i always experienced that it makes me much more life it makes me much more appreciative of life it makes me much more uh like it creates a clarity about values and um also brings in perspective that is often lost in the day-to-day living. And it gives the possibility to search for a deeper meaning than just, than, that goes further than just existing. Because real meaning is not delivered just by existing as such. It's something we have to investigate and open ourselves to. And that comes from embracing the bigger cycles of life and also the the crucial and cruel reality that you will die. And so will everybody that you love and like, and everybody that you hate and dislike, and everybody that came before you, and everybody will come after you, everybody will die. And it's a, a very beautiful thing. And I just had this conversation with a client where her mother died. And she's been doing, exploring these topics and doing spiritual practice for many years. And she felt um, this kind of paradoxical experience that on the one hand, it's very sad. And it's and her mother was quite old already. So it was also a relief in a way. Um, so that it's actually tragic and very sad. And at the same time, it's very beautiful. It's like there is a, a coming together in the family. There is a coming together with the community around the, the rituals. And there is a kind of a, a heightened sense of of appreciation and honoring the life that has gone. And there is a, a true beauty in recognizing that this is right. This is not against life, but this is now also right that this is part of life and how she was kind of still struggling with how do I hold that perception in myself and I cannot tell people that I find that this is beautiful because they will think I'm not um, caring and and how we have this kind of all backwards the, the, the true perspective that if you feel like if you tell people like how terrible and horrible it is that this person that then you, you seem to be caring
1: and um yeah there's one thing that i want to bring in which is um when you talk about this
2: tendency that we have to avoid the reality of death, and and how that affects how we live and
1: um,
2: how that makes me think of, like, our nervous systems being in a state of survival, like, then it makes sense that I have to avoid death, like, that's my goal. and like i'm wondering like how much does it require a regulated nervous system to be able to appreciate death and to give it its part right like how our perspective of death is a reflection of our individual and collective nervous system like where it's at and so given like that that if that um it doesn't define, but it um, molds how we look at things, for example, death. So like, yeah, that's the role that we've uh, assigned to death is like that thing that we need to avoid and fight against. It's like a beautiful reflection of, yeah, that's the state of our nervous systems.
0: Exactly, totally. And basically, if you look at it from this, this perspective it all points down, boils down to what's your relationship to let it go, because that's 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 the one thing we don't really know anything about death really. Like there's some assumptions everybody has some ideas, um, but it's also a big mystery. Like there is of course teachings from cultures like the Tibetans who explored that very profoundly, and still at the end of the day you don't know. (laughs) And that means you need to let go into something that you don't know. So it, it means like letting go of something, letting go of ideas, concepts, and letting go of control. And that is a big part of that's half of our nervous system's job to also let go. Like there is the job that it has by activating ourselves, by mobilizing, by preparing us for surviving, by doing something, by getting control and grip on things, the activating part, like the activity part of life. And then there is the, it's like your in-breath. You take it in, and you orient and do stuff. And then how long can you hold your in-breath for? I mean, you can try it. It goes a while, and then the moment will come, you'll have to let go. And it's a simple physiological process that we all do all the time. And it's a it's, a, it's an aspect of life that goes all the way down to the experience of, of, of death or what we call death. Because death is not something that happens that will happen one day in maybe decades uh, down the line <clears throat> or whatever and will come. It's an experience right now like there's a small death process happening right now, like there are cells being formed and there are cells dying right now in your system. And if they don't die, you have a problem (laughs) like pretty immediately. If you don't breathe out, you pretty immediately have a problem. So it's for the continuation of life, dying in the sense of letting go, of breathing out, of letting things complete and also let go and lose form is, for the continuation of life, absolutely necessary. So there's a much bigger experience of life of existence that includes the cycle of life and death, that includes even our experience of our lifetime of life and death. But we don't have very much often a perspective where our life is taking place in, we feel our life is the only time frame of existence and then of course I'm like oh my god I'm here now that's gonna end and uh, I'll have to make the most of it and it's also good but then what so again like then you said like in a way it creates this idea of I have to defend myself prolong as much as possible that moment to come and we got very good at it to some degree extending lifespan extending quality of life and uh, maybe even investigating how we can push it even further into maybe hundreds of years and maybe we'll do that as human beings to extend lifespan for a very long time but we will not avoid that point you can freeze yourself and like (laughs) use all technology and wait for a hundred thousand years or two million years or whatever it is but it will not all to the fact that at one point something else will happen a bit, like it's it's just not going to change the the deeper radical reality of life. It's just bending and playing with the time frame. And so we don't have to wait for for death to happen, like the big physiological let go. We have a relationship to it right now, all the time. And that comes back to what you said with the nervous system, like our nervous system has experiences of how it feels to take in life and to let go of life from day one. And uh, also what we inherited already from our, from our ancestors. So if letting go is not an experience in my nervous system that feels that is connected to safety or well-being because actually it's nice to let go it's like it's like breathing out after the work has been done it's like sitting into a chair it's like relaxing into the arms of the beloved it's like letting go is great but for many people or for parts of ourselves letting go often is not safe and it doesn't feel like uh um yeah something that that i want to do it's more it's felt maybe unsafe or unheld uncared or becoming vulnerable being attacked being wounded being shamed criticized like the whole experience of life and when you learn to brace which means hold on to and not let go and so if that is my my kind of like wiring or more of my wiring in my nervous system then and plus a lack of a kind of a philosophical or existential orientation that says this is the life you got and there is nothing bigger that holds this then we're in trouble because all i know is to hold on and to uh, see how, to, how i can extend that and so I will also not fully live i will only live half like in half of my capacity and there is like medical research and uh, psychological research and probably in every domain that that tells us very clear like if we're not able to let go there is very little chance for innovation and for renewal and um, so more and more we will feel exhausted, burned out, unnourished, and afraid, because the inevitable will always happen. It it always will happen. But it doesn't mean that it will happen against us. Um, It only means that we cannot control life, but we can build a relationship to it. Just this very moment, I can start learning to relax into my out-breath.
2: I remember, I just remember this now that when I was a teenager, (laughs) I had this realization of fuck, I'm going to die one day. And it was so, it was so fucking real in this moment. And it hit me like, I think nothing else before, like it was so in my face that one day I'm not going to exist the way that I know myself. And And suddenly, so many of the things that seemed so important in my life, like that I was really focusing on and my mind was constantly going to, whether I was going to reach this or that and the grades, became so meaningless. And yeah, it really stayed with me for a couple of days, this kind of emptiness. Like, why why the hell am I doing the things that I'm doing? And I want to bring this conversation back to the topic of grief because in my family, like in probably many or most other families, like grief was not a thing. So there was no, this was not an option for me just to grieve the fact that one day I'm going to die. So like, if that's not a possibility, it makes sense that we go to fighting death because what 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 else can you do besides feeling hopeless so yeah i'm curious to hear like why why does grief help us deal with this and um, what how can we grieve better
0: that is such a rich conversation because there's these questions are big ones. And also from sharing your experience, it already tells us what kind of world we live in. Because of course, um, a child and it's very normal and healthy children will start to reflect at a certain age or maybe then later in teenage time or again and again throughout life to reflect on the reality of death because people are dying and uh, things that you love um disappear, perish, get broken, you know, like the the reality of things falling apart, dying. Um, so it's it's natural, and when when there is no spiritual and philosophical, cosmological kind of framing for a children in which this is being um, in which they are presented with this, um, then it can be a very scary. Isolating experience to just face that and realize that. That's why, besides the many difficult aspects of religious traditions, one thing that they were providing very well was like an embeddedness in a bigger story that includes life and death, and that human life was not the end point of itself, of, of, of existence in itself. And that Done better or done worse, but like if it's done well, like it, 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 like gives a container and a narrative and the framing of the goodness of life that includes death. And that's for children very assuring because, um, it feels like, yeah, I'm going to die, but it's like everybody else did that and everybody will. And, um, it's an okay thing in the end. The other thing is you can make that also like a, a way that it kind of cuts the reality of the, the human experience of loss, which is the, if you connect them with the emotion of sadness, that, and the, the process that we call griefing, which is extremely important to metabolize and digest the experience of losing something. Because we're, again, like we have it in a very big, crucial experience when somebody dies or when something terrible happens, but it's an experience of, of everyday living. You all the time need to let go of things, of ideas that you grow fond of when you grow up, like you need to let go of many uh, habits that served you well for a while, and then uh, it's time to let them go in order to grow and become anew and, and be born into a new person. So. Again, it's like it's 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 from the very small to the very big, like a big question of how we have practices of, of grieving and letting go, and how important it is that for any renewal, we, we know how to accompany that process in ourselves. And again, there is a huge difficulty often because we're living in this world where it's cool to be upbeat and to be happy and joyous. And to be kind of like um, up with your game and have an optimistic view on life and as great as that is, the reality is also that you will experience sadness, loss, and grief, and there is no way around it and if that doesn't feel like an appreciated and important part of life, um, like you said, like there was no no space for grief and uh i think i can relate to that and many people can relate to that that it's like something that we all feel but it's more like you have to isolate yourself or hide away from the world a bit and then come back when you're when you're happy again but that we are we're like missing out a huge resource here for human life because Again, no renewal without death, no development and growing further without going through the pain of losing something, which actually is a, is a very important in the development of the human heart. Compassion and empathy comes from having experienced hardship myself. So if I meet you and you're going through something difficult and I've never experienced that, I might have a certain understanding of this, but if I felt or went through something similar and i felt how hard it is and i also felt how important it is to go through it and it, i came out the other side in a more mature way like i will radiate empathy and compassion and uh, a good consoling presence to you and so when that is not happening like we're we're kind of like stuck and putting pressure on ourselves and like thinking maybe it shouldn't be like that, I shouldn't be sad, I shouldn't be grieving, and um, in a way trying on to hold on to something that is not anymore, which feels like stuck and not like being in the flow of life. Plus, how we can grieve better. You like you were asking and I um, like, um not trying to glorify everything that happened in the past, but like in indigenous cultures, when it's done well, from what we understand, um, and in wisdom traditions, there are many, many rituals about um, grief, either when a person dies or when disasters strike, or even when when big changes happened, like every every initiation step is also a step of Entering something new, but before it's it's letting go of something that is not anymore. But they're all done, or a big part of it is done in community. And like when you look at how funerals done, and if you've ever been at a funeral that felt good, or the kind of ceremonies or rituals or prayers around, people come together. Everybody that this person meant uh, something to, they kind of come together so it's like a it pulls life together and it can be a very very beautiful yet sad experience to 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 mourn together and there is traditions where you sing songs where you dance where you call out the names you you have a feast um, and it can even be a celebration and um i sometimes I was spending time in India and in a community where when somebody had died, they really made it a point to make it a death celebration. And I've had some of the most exquisite, beautiful moments feeling connected to people that I hardly knew by sharing in kind of like a a communal experience of, of almost celebrating that, death had occurred and that this which means like the, the appreciation that this life had existed this person had existed and that now it's like the high point and not the end point but like the high point the culmination where the refinement of a movement of life can go into an even more subtle form and for me that was very transformative to feel how much um grace and benevolence and beauty can happen in such a moment. And it's also something that I experienced in, in, with um, a death in my family, but also I've heard from many clients that these days when, when, when somebody is dying, is about to die or had died, there's like a period of time. Again, the Tibetan tradition had described the phenomenological process of this very well there is really a sense of like there's a window open in which a lot more is possible for healing and for grace and for people coming together and for um, really miracles. I've heard stories where families were in difficult conflicts and turmoil or disconnections for many years and then something happened around the death of a person and people suddenly came together and what you also said like it it's like it suddenly puts everything that we normally hold on to as like so important it puts everything into perspective like death is just the biggest mirror and the biggest kind of perspective giver. I don't know if there's a good word, like what's the word for like something that gives perspective, like a reflector to 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 everything. Because in the end, this will all be faced by this. Whatever you think, whatever you is like it's so important and it's like the most important and it's like my deepest conviction and all that I went for and like just like I devote my life to it and everything. <laughs> and it's all great and it's and and not to make that not important that's not the point at all but it will all face that like in the christian tradition the 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 last judgment and it's a beautiful thing where you suddenly you get the opportunity to reflect on everything and you're being reflected in the face of this And you see, and then in the the small version of it, like maybe seeing in a family conflict, like, what do I get from holding on to this grudge forever? What do I get by being right because he was really doing this to me or that or trying to get more of that? What do I get by that, really? And what do I get by also, again, participating in this process of the invitation of letting go that comes through an experience of of death. Maybe I get rewarded in a very different way and suddenly things that we in a deeper level wish and yearn and long for um, are, are happening. So, and again, that's why I'm such an advocate of making use of situations like this, like consciously use them, and to not having to wait until my death or somebody else's death is is kind of like present, but live life knowing that this is part of your, your daily experience. And, and and bring in have rituals sometimes to 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 consciously open even a space of mourning. So what what am I like end of the year or um, throughout the year sometimes, like what, what am I letting go right now of? And what is, what still needs to be wept over? Like I said before, like there's often very beautiful, like very beautiful pieces of music that are kind of like mourning songs or that have the quality of, of sadness, you know, that helps one to get into that quality to physically, physiologically kind of like flush something through our system. And everybody I'm sure has that had, had, had that experience that when you really cry over something, like you get to the bottom of it and you just weep and it feels like it will, never end. I'm like, I will just weep for days. That's why we often fear getting close to it because it feels like it will be overwhelming. But if you're really with the right kind of support, maybe sometimes get to the core of it and you just weep your heart out. At one point, there is a moment it feels like, like the end point of the out breath. And suddenly, a new in-breath is happening and it's like suddenly the skies are clear again. And most likely you will have a perspective or a thought or a feeling that you haven't had before. So something new was born, but it could only be born out of the experience of really surrendering to the
1: fullness of the death of that moment. And
0: that is scary because we lose control. And again, then we meet what you said before about the nervous system there. You meet your very individual wiring of how much the system learned and was invited to, to relax and to surrender. And still it's scary, but it's like more and more an experience of like, can go through this. And, or maybe meeting the experience of like how scary and traumatized that places or how much I'm I'm isolated in there and I just feel more isolated. And then the real organic rhythm of um, of grieving cannot go through fully. And in that moment then it's important to yeah find support and to to learn because the the like the intrinsic movement of the nervous system Will always want to go that way, because life—it <laughs> has that's the way of life, yeah. And to maybe from here, like to make the 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 context even bigger, I think that's a, a huge <clears throat> topic. That it's individually we have a hard time grieving, but we also collectively have a very hard time <clears throat> grieving, which means like coming to terms with the things that are. Tragic, um, violent, overwhelming, painful, and uh, where a lot of undigested grief is still sitting in all our bodies that come also from the collective experiences of like I mean there were there are so many things to weep about in this life, and there are so little spaces where we are invited or capable of doing that. And then it's interesting to know, in the absence of process of, un, like, in the absence of real grief, what else takes place. So if I, if I don't have the experience individually or we collectively that we can really grieve over um, tragedies, and I cannot therefore have the experience that I really let go of something. So something is allowed to, to die, and to be done, and to be finished, and to not be anymore. And to not argue with like a little bit, I want still it to happen, like facing the reality of this is like it's not anymore. Like when somebody dies, he's not anymore in this way in form. and. When we, when that cannot happen, and it's like a, an organic movement in our nervous system and in our whole psyche, in our soul. Then we'll probably have all forms of symptoms of, of trying to hold on, trying to hold on to the memory, and often then it happens that there is a like an an either an over idealization of the person or the thing that was lost or collective dimensions it's often after the change of a after a war or a change of a state is like people say ah it was so beautiful in the old times (laughs) and like in the good old times you know like a glorification of the past because I cannot bear the reality that things have really changed and then we, 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 we claim we want to go back to the past because then it one it was better, so we, we try to like kind of put the straight onto life's evolution and say like it's, like, it's not supposed to go forward, it's supposed to go back, and because it truly was better then, and so we, we where again we feel that the the difficulty of of surrendering to the intrinsic forward movement of life, the evolution of like uh, the emergence or we have maybe a very averse reaction to everything of the past, and we just need to look forward because looking back was so painful. And uh, let's keep running. Let's keep evolving. Let's keep technology. Uh, Let's just get faster, better, more progress um, because this was all too scary or threatening. And it just brought a lot of pain, which was um a story often in the also of post-war in the, and especially in the cent, in, in in europe where there was so much tragedy and so much grief that couldn't happen and people would have gone crazy probably if they would have felt the immensity of what was there to grieve about so the very intelligent trauma response also was okay let's close that chapter like don't talk about it, don't look about. It, look, then look look. at it, just keep going forward. Become very functional and forward-oriented and progress, and now we're gonna create a new future. And it became a huge success story, but with a huge shadow, like with a huge thing that needs to stay in the dark and in the corner and don't touch this and it creates lots of side effects because, again, you cannot cut life into two two pieces and say, I only take one. uh, You're not bigger than life. None of us is. So it will have its ways that it comes back in mental health uh, uh, situations, depressions, feelings of heaviness, of meaninglessness, and phys- physical problems of tensions and pains and uh, uh, anxieties and the whole, whole dimension, or, or just like a kind of a general sense of meaninglessness, a nihilistic view of the world of like, because I kind of had to cut out a big part of what life is about, and then um, yeah, it will always feel partial. And then I need to either keep myself very busy or numb myself and yeah, denying the reality that I'm still aching and that I still have pain. Or I'm all the time talking about the old times and repeating the old story. So there's, there's the different versions. One is probably too much clinging on and the other one is like too much running away from and yes we don't have rituals that regularly invite us into reality of facing death and the things that had been gone to stop and really look and be together in that process Um, it's very difficult to do it on one's own
1: So was a little bit of a long answer. <laughs>
2: I, I take it. Um, I just want to say that what what's becoming so tangibly, vividly present when I listen to you is how you take out or you avoid one part of life and everything else suffers and and how how effectively we delude ourselves that that's the case (laughs) like it's the last thing that you would go to is like i i I just need to grieve more (laughs) like you just wouldn't go
0: there yeah exactly and it would be a huge revolution um if if this perspective becomes more normalized again and it's also it like i don't if people hear about it in my experience most people understand it because it's 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 intrinsically built into life our bodies that are way older like the structures that we live in they're way older than my personality like we're we're, we're living in, in structures of our bodies and our brains and also our culture they're like they are thousands or hundreds of thousands of years old so we went through all these processes millions of times so something when we when we hear about it and it's presented in the right way people understand it's like yeah but in the absence of it it's very hard to find that information and it's like like you said like it's why should I try to be more sad (laughs) why would I intentionally make myself go there and uh, there is a there's a huge gift if one understands that my happiness and not just like as an emotional experience but my quality of okayness and feeling okay of being really here and like be present to life doesn't depend on me being sad or not sad or being me being feeling happy or not happy like these are all transient states that we all go through but sadness is not in the way of feeling right and good or even feeling happy you can be deeply sad and it feels deeply, it's not joyful, but like it feels satisfying and right at the same time. And when people experience that for the first time, they're kind of baffled and almost like we said in the beginning of the conversation, then it's almost like I have to hide that because then people might think I'm I'm weird or I don't care enough because I have to make a grim face if I'm grieving. Because You need to grieve and you need to wait, but then maybe you need to laugh insanely in the midst of it and feel the absurdity of it and feel the power and the beauty and the strength and the and the anger that is in there because there's a huge need for for also for anger in the grieving process and that cannot happen. It's like it feels disempowering, but like yeah, maybe i'm I'm, I'm irritated and like I didn't want to lose you, I didn't want to lose that thing and I didn't want to, to fail at this test, but now it's done, and like, bah, I'm irritated, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're grieving, right? And that's good, and that's healthy. So in the absence of this orientation, it's very, can be very, yeah, disorienting. And, And then again, we lose a lot of potentiality of life, and we get busy with thinking, 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 and thinking if it's right or not right, and like what, and like oh, and then life stops a bit. So I'll be all up for intentionally setting up places for people to mourn and to, to weep and to, I mean, why do people go to concerts and get touched and vulnerable, go to cinema and cry over over, over scenes like this and afterwards feel like oh, that was good. Because it gives them a or like turn up the volume with this really sad song and like then like cry about it and you go, why? And <laughs> but it's it just speaks to this like and it's a it's a huge industry, but we do it like kind of like from the side by calling it entertainment. Um, because we all lack the, the places where we can, where we're allowed to, to enter our states as human beings. The same goes for joy, it goes for ecstasy, it goes for anger, it goes for sadness and grief. So uh, there's a huge potential of just embracing these experiences of life much more directly, and we don't need to outsource so much to, to the entertainment industry and other other forms that offer kind of a pseudo version of those um, experiences
1: yeah and we'll have to do less self-managing because as you
2: said like these um, ways of processing going through experiences such as grief like they're deeply ingrained. Like, it's not something that we have to kind of study. <laughs> it, like what it takes is spaces that allow us to tap into that motion that's there anyway. And so like the image that I get is that quite a lot of,
1: um,
2: yeah, like a lot of the, the kind of way that we work on ourselves would just become irrelevant. Because, like, very often I see in that, like, a not being able to tap into these ways of um, processing experiences. So then we have to do a lot. Like, we have to, um, whatever, like, find a lot of uh, positive thoughts so that we don't touch the sadness or um, keep ourselves in a very high energy state. Because uh, if we don't, then all of this will come up, right? like there's there's a kind of effort involved in not letting your biology do like, as you said, like where it's always gonna go towards
1: exactly
0: yeah, it's it would be a way more effective way of of dealing with our individual and collective health and our mental health than just either managing or subduing or kind of numbing or get it in some kind of like sideway kind of uh, approaches happening or going to individual therapy. Like there'll be there's such a huge potential of of creating communal spaces again of collective spaces again where the motions of being a human being are being uh, celebrated again and it's not it's not it's not simple like this also it's like um, these processes are deeply emotional and can be overwhelming so it's not just like let's all get together and cry i mean maybe also that's what it also is about like even maybe it's that simple Um, but ideally it would be let's say happening uh, where we would mimic how it would have originally happened that we would have learned about it and that is by some in the presence of somebody else that feels trust in that movement because when you're a small child like we all we all like when you have kids or when you remember being small like every day of very many years you were probably grieving over something and crying and feeling pain about losing something and like because your friend took your toy from your hands and you felt like Whoa, such an intensity of emotions and then if things went well you went to your mother or your father or the caregiver that was around and you could kind of like process this emotion in the presence of somebody else that feels like yeah this is happening right now you're having this really intense experience right now you're losing something or it's unfair or it hurts and i know this experience i went through it myself and i know it had ended again and i actually came out a bit stronger on the other side and you're welcome to to be there with all your intensity with me right now and then child learns and the nervous system learns ah it's possible to feel my emotions i can even name them i can make sense of them and i can feel them and they end and something else happens and then i can go forward with life again so when that's how the nervous system will learn like it's intrinsically built to follow that route but it learns itself it learns best in the presence of another that can hold that space, that is not afraid of like, oh, this will really never end. So if you're a child and you go to your mother and she, she gets more hysterical than you or your father or whoever is there, it's so like, wow, this is really tragic. And like, oh my God, you go like, oh my God, <laughs> this is really terrible. Or, or you get the other treatment of like, don't make a fuss about it. like, it's just a toy. And I, I feel like, or don't be scared. Or don't be sad. No, it's not. It's not important. And I'm like, ah, I cannot um, honor my feelings. I cannot trust them. Something's probably not right about them. So there is this this mixed um, kind of feedback that we get that becomes like belief structures in ourselves later on. So again, if we would come together as as humans now, ideally it would be space a space hosted. Where someone or a group of people kind of like stand there and allow that kind of like a like a lightning rod almost like to be there. It's so like, yeah, which every good facilitator, if you work with processes, basically is doing, that you offer a space in which something that was difficult for someone to complete itself naturally can start to happen, and that the person or the group has the intrinsic, Experience and knowledge and awareness, and sense that this is right and it will go through. And this is not something that needs to be controlled or stopped, but just facilitated. And then something that was stuck, which we nowadays most likely, when it's very intense and chronic, we call trauma, can start moving again and f- complete its natural organic cycle. So, and I think. Like you're right, also, that there is so we we cannot solve the world by doing therapy with everybody that will not work out that equation is like (laughs) it's not gonna happen. But it needs some kind of expertise and it also it maybe needs to kind of like take a bit of a leap of faith that there is more capacity in all of us and there is more grace when we jump that. More can happen than we thought was that we thought was possible, and that there is we're, we're landing in the in graceful hands of God. doesn't mean that we come stupid and jump over every cliff that we appears to us, but <laughs> but also not to shy away from from moments of leaps of faith. Mm-hmm. There is already a life's intelligence wanting to experience itself becoming active
2: yeah and i would say just one example of this leap of faith on maybe a smaller level um this came up when you were talking about like if we had space for our natural ways to process experiences then we would be more effective. There's this paradox that it looks like we're slowing down, or we are slowing down. But like, <laughs> if we zoom out, this slowing down actually uh, like increases our growth and our learning exponentially. And so this does take a leap of faith to be like. I mean, I want to, I want to go through this faster, like I want to be in a healed place faster, why the fuck should I slow down right now, like that, that doesn't make sense. So even there is already a good place to face a leap of faith, because you're not promised that by slowing down, you will, like your path will uh, unfold uh, faster in in more beautiful ways. But yeah, at the same time, I'd say you you will face this moment of like, I cannot go faster. (laughs) I I just cannot go faster anymore.
0: So I I, I just have to try something else. And even in the question itself is already an interesting inquiry. When we say, I want to go faster, we could even take one step back and say, why? Because we already start from an injunction that faster is better, and then, or there's two layers to it. It's exactly as you say, like in, again, that's it's not a modern invention or anybody becoming smart with it. It's it's a old wisdom that, um, for example, the Taoists made quite uh, explicit. If you want to go faster, learn to slow down, and if you want to become more straight. Accept and embrace your crookedness, and like to live in that, to embrace the paradox of life that just wanting one thing without embracing the other will always actually make you run in circles more. And then I can even ask why (laughs) do I already think that things need to go faster? We we accept that as like, fast is always better. If the process can go faster, it's better. And there is a certain, let's say, pragmatic perspective on it that says, OK, that's, uh, that's just how it is. But if I really look deeper, why?
2: Why? Maybe let's use the word effective. Because with faster, I think it's easier to say like, known like going faster is not always better. But with effective, I think it becomes even more interesting because it does make sense to for things to be effective, like for for things for for example, for us to not spend more energy on things than is needed to get it done. Right. So that we have more energy that we can focus on other things or that we feel more rested.
0: Yeah. And then still, we could use the, the wisdom <laughs> counsel here and say, yeah, so that you can be done with one thing and then be starting the next. Like, why? And um, it's just sometimes interesting to all to take that that perspective behind the perspective again and again. And to say, like, because it maybe brings us back to what we also talked before about the, the, um, the gift of grief, that it and sadness and taking time to to mourn and feel also feel into the pain of loss. That one thing that it does, it really matures the heart of the human being. It opens the heart. For the things that are difficult, painful, crooked, and maybe includes like like who who has love for the things that are not going fast and that are not effective and that maybe don't work and are broken and maybe can't be fixed. and maybe just need somebody to sit there and weep over the tragedy that some things are just gone. And cannot be brought back. like the like right now on our planet, there is so many things that we could weep over the extinction of species, the devastation of natural habitats in nature, the untold stories of hardship of children, women, men in all kind of abusive situation, exploitative situations. Like who's weeping for that? Who's mourning that? Who is who is even wanting to hear about it. And not in a self accusative of self-flagellation, like oh how bad and how bad we are and how bad everything is, but yeah to to see if what is the place in me that matures by allowing some more of the pain of the world in without in a way also to face my helplessness with it because again it's it's that process of letting go in the grief there is the component of i i it's not in my hands, and I open it's even like in the famous Kind of crucifixion narrative of Jesus on the cross, like feeling the despair and the anger at God and like, why, why did you forsake me? And there is a, a opening of the hands and the hearts that says, okay, it's not in my hands. And from there, like a, a diff, bigger expansion of the heart happens that includes that which from our human perspective we call wrong. And when I find a place in myself that includes the right and the wrong in a space that has a different kind of way of rightness, yeah, something else is happening.
1: Yeah, I think we're we're
2: going full circle right now because we started with grief and you were just talking about the ability to face
1: all of life. And yeah, I think that's what
2: the only way to live a whole life is to face everything. And when I do that, I will grieve. So it's like,
1: yeah, maybe, maybe
2: something like to experience the sacredness of life I have to face grief and I have to become friends with grief because otherwise I compartmentalize and divide life, and by that I hurt everything I don't just hurt the parts that I'm not willing to look at I almost paradoxically, like maybe even more hurt the things that I am like fully focusing on because they get they get kind of shallow like my joy becomes
0: really shallow if it's a way to avoid my grief, yeah, and they become they become bur like the qualities, the emotions, or the people, they become burdened with something they are not meant to carry. They become burdened with the idea and the hope and the projection of make me happy, make it good, and not be who you are, be my joy. And then I also have my grief, and I have my anger, and and everything or be the person that is here and I enjoy you because you're here. And if you go, if you're meant to go, I, I can embrace that as well as the, as the deeper meaning of life. That So there is a, it becomes like, again, like, and it can be very subtle or it can be very, very overt. Like, if, if you are in my life, I'm happy. If you go, I, I cannot be happy anymore. That will eventually, Hit the wall, it will because this person will go and you will go. And so, like you said, like if we don't often just even have the information that this um, and life includes all of this, and that life is meant to make us face everything as it will. Then we get very much kind of like hypnotized by the small things that bring us momentary gratification or seem to, to bring joy. And it's, it's, um, it's not even hard sometimes for people to embrace their grief, sometimes also very hard to embrace their joy. You know, like you, if you feel the entirety and the, the fullness of life, you will grieve, but you will also leave with joy. You will get angry and feeling like outraged. And you will feel sad. And you will feel everything, basically. And so the sacredness of life, again, is not, it's not in one thing. It's, the sacredness reveals itself by life taking place more fully and more profoundly. And it's, it's a, a way. It's not a thing of life. Thank you for listening to the Integral Being podcast. To learn more about my work, go to integralbeing.at and I hope to see you there.